Hi, welcome back to the podcast. Our guest today is the wonderful Louisa Steensma-Williamson. Louisa is a very experienced career HR, human resources, professional running her own consulting practice, Thrive Consulting. Thrive partners with HR and business leaders to help their organizations thrive through effective people strategies. Prior to setting up her own practice, Louisa's career for the last 29 years spans a number of industries and at more than a few well-known blue chip companies. From technology giants like SAP to global drinks company Diego, which Canadian listeners will know own Seagram's, to Getty Images where I had the pleasure of working with her, a consummate professional and a thoughtful advisor to name only two of her qualities as a leader. Welcome to the podcast, Louisa. We're delighted to have you. Thank you, Eve. Thank you for asking me to speak. <laughs> Excellent. No, we are really looking forward to this conversation. So today we've got you on to talk about redundancy and reinvention. We need to go back a bit in time to hear more about your career and how it started to fill in how you've become quite an expert in this area. So let's start at the beginning. When you started out in your career, imagine young Louisa, full of promise and hope, did you imagine it would lead to some kind of specialism, either in HR for the private sector, or did you have some other plan? So it's a great question. And to be honest, I had no clue what I wanted to do. When I was in primary school, I wanted to be a doctor. And then when I went into secondary school and realized maths and science <laughs> weren't my strengths, my, I was then you know, in a quandary and I didn't really quite know what, what, what I, I wanted to do. I really enjoyed languages and English. And I guess I just kind of focused on my strengths and did languages at university. Um, my family is full of lawyers, businessmen and teachers. Oh. And I did one of, um, I did a work experience in a law firm because I thought, well, maybe I could be a lawyer, but actually the, the case law and the detail I thought, I don't want to do this. So I just followed my nose, I guess. Um, and I worked every holiday from the age of about 14. So I knew that I kind of wanted something commercial. And it wasn't really until after university. And um, I guess it's, uh, I, I ended up working with Morgan Stanley um, in a role using my languages, actually. But as I was number crunching and working late nights and Saturdays, I just thought, how have I ended up in a sort of almost mathematical, analytical, <laughs> detail, highly detailed role, which I didn't really feel was, was a strength of mine. Um, and I had at university dated um, an army officer. And so I kind of learnt about the military world and decided as I was back then earning £10,000 a year that it might be quite helpful to learn something new and earn a bit of money in the Army Reserve, which I joined. And at that time, women could only join the kind of Transport Corps, Admin or Intelligence Corps. And the Intelligence Corps needed linguists. So I was like, oh yeah, okay. So anyway, so I ended up in the Intelligence Corps training company and training recruits. And I thought, actually, I really enjoy this. And so whilst at Morgan Stanley went to their HR department and said, you know, how could I transfer into HR? So they said, well, um, here's the number for the Institute of Training who I rang and they just merged with the Institute of Personnel. So I ended up doing the sort of newly formed first qualification. 
um, and the rest is history, so to speak, other than I couldn't stay at Morgan Stanley because they were making redundancies within the HR team. Ah, nicely so to then, our theme. So, <laughs> so I then had to kind of move to a new organisation uh, where I could use my newly found HR skills and, and kind of put them into practice there. Um, and that's how I ended up in HR. And I would say that many HR professionals sort of don't, I don't think, initially um, plan to go into kind of the people profession and end up in, in it by an osmosis of actually I really enjoy this bit and this bit and, and end up. And um, although now I think the youngsters, there's, there's more awareness of the benefits of having a, a people professional within an organization. So I think, and there's a lot more courses, uh, business courses with an HR element to, to help people. But anyway, so that, that ended up. I think that sounds quite familiar story in that, you know, a lot of people when they start out in the working career, like you say, I like that phrase, follow your nose, because you do just sort of not exactly end up in careers but it's not always the path if you haven't got a specified idea that you do tend to um you know end up following a path and end up somewhere and i think it's 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 really good to hear someone going well actually why why am i here and then recognizing actually there is something else i'd like to do what was it about hr that you liked well initially i thought that i could add value as a trainer within an organization and, and I thought I could be an in-house trainer uh, and I guess that's you know given my family of teachers that was another way of, of, kind yeah. of giving back and that was a strength but actually when I did the qualification um, I really enjoyed the generalist aspect the fact that not only are you you know focused on people's learning and development but also on making sure that their experience is good that they're paid correctly getting the right benefits what is it that's engaging them and also how are you working with leaders that are managing these people to make sure that they're you know ensuring that their day-to-day -day experience is the best and so I moved away from actually I'd, I'd, I'd rather be a generalist and, and, mm. and look at the full package of employee experience including the training and learning portion um yeah and i just think that um the ability to influence leaders it, it, and and the variety of the role is is interesting um and i don't think i hadn't thought about that in terms of i think people have got quite a narrow view of what they think hr people do but that's think, that, yes People don't understand what HR do actually. And no. if, if you're a massive extrovert, I don't think HR is the career for you because <laughs> oh, you, tend really? be, you tend <laughs> to be in a real support role. Um, and a lot of the influencing, I mean, <laughs> over my career, the times, and it happened recently, the times I'd, you know, even to a chief exec, I'll say, um, have you thought about this? And in my opinion, you know, we should do X, Y, and Z. And they poo poo it in that moment and then the following week they're literally standing at an all hands <laughs> and verbatim my comment from the previous week is uttered from their lips and so I think to myself well that's what's called good influencing Louisa <laughs> <laughs> that must be 
very satisfying. They reflected on what you said, and here <laughs> they now have it. But they would never ever give you credit for that, you know. But you know it in yourself, and so I think that's where the, you know, it, I think if you're if you're high ego, that would be really frustrating. Yeah. Um, but actually, I just kind of I think, well, I know I've done a good job, so that that's good, and 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 they know in their heart yeah. of hearts that I've helped influence them, and and they've respected my opinion on it so that's good but yeah so it, it's kind of it's tricky that's it sounds a ninja like... level influencing it's very you know what? it reminds me <laughs> quite a lot of parenting because yeah, I often like say to my children you know <laughs> you should do this I try not to say it in the you should do this kind of way but you know I suggest that this is the right approach and they're like no 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 but later on you know <laughs> <laughs> they make choices and I think oh my god I've I actually did have some influence you know they were completely against it so I think I think what we're seeing is you have to have some patience in this role um both in the parenting role and in I, I can see from the yeah if you're someone who wants that um in your role if you want that feedback straight away that your idea was good then perhaps you know you're not going to get that but that sort of patient influencing of an organization so it i i find it fascinating actually that that is going on in you know from the hr role yeah well i'd like to just you know thinking just sort of building on what you know your observations about you know what the sort of challenging our expectations of what hr is you were talking a bit earlier louisa about um you know how you were made redundant early on or sorry you were um you saw the redundancies happening at morgan stanley and i think you know to caroline's point was a lot of people might not realize how involved hr is in sort of redundancy processes so you know how in your experience you know how from a very young age watching it happen did you sort of how did you experience that and then how do you reflect on that now that you're much older and you've got a lot more experience dealing with redundancies from an hr perspective so i guess back in the day you know 30 years ago even i do think redundancy had a had a very negative connotation and no one really wanted to be made redundant it was almost a, a kind of a badge of shame and certainly you know in the last 20 years that's completely shifted and certainly working for American organizations, I would say, you know, a reduction in force, a RIF, as the, the US term it, or, or a redundancy exercise um, is really common. And almost, I, I would say in the last 20 years, every single year, it's almost without fail over the summer, <laughs> the HR team is asked, okay, you know, we're, we're looking at the, at that sort of mid-year point, the numbers, we're not going to hit where we need to by year end. What's the, our biggest cost base is our payroll. So how do we reduce or restructure in a way to save cost? And it's, it's become almost um, part of the sort of day-to-day -day rhythm or annual rhythm of business. And really good people have, you know, lost their roles within organizations. And so the stigma has gone. And I think it's a very, it's, it's seen as a very practical, um, unfortunate process. Um, and certainly when I speak with employees, you know, it's not about the person, it's about the role. 
And unfortunately, the more senior the person who earns the most money are those probably most at risk to be affected. And when I first started out, it was horrible. I absolutely hated making people redundant because I was so feeling sorry for them, etc. But to be honest, in, in the, the um, a lot of leaders hate it and aren't very good at it. And it's human nature not to want to have those difficult conversations. And I do think that HR plays a really important role in humanizing that whole process and discussion and making sure that the, the people affected are treated with respect and supported through it and also given the opportunity to reflect on how this, you know, how they can move through this change and actually this might be a blessing in disguise and, and let's have a talk about that. Um, and also, you know, in terms of the change curve, there's a famous Kubler-Ross, which it's actually a grief curve that's been adopted by change practitioners where, you know, following bad news and, and we, we can all relate to this, you know, you go from sort of shock and denial through anger and almost a depression before you then start to come out uh, to kind of acceptance. Um, and some people go through that change curve, you know, within a week and other people take months to go through it. And, you know, why me? Why my role? I can't believe it. And then you're angry and, and you will go through all of those stages. It's just kind of psychologically. But I think for, for people, professionals to be there and understand that and almost to share that with employees that you will feel this and it's completely normal for you to hate your boss for doing this to you and, you know, and then etc. But really, and, and being supportive of, of the time that's needed. And I do think in the UK and well across Europe, the employment law is very consultative in a way that it's not in the US. And the consultation process really supports that, that almost change curve because it allows people a bit more time. Um, and it, it, it is a shock to be told that your role is at risk. But the fact that you're going to be discussing it over a period of time before anything happens, the um, feeling that you have some input into it, that you might have the opportunity to suggest a different way of restructuring that might be able to save your role, or maybe there's an alternative position that you could apply for, or actually you've been thinking that there's a niche market opportunity that you'd love to create a role and, and trial it for six months. And what's the business got to lose by letting you, you know, help um, develop some business and, and make money on, on a special niche, niche product or something like that. So I think, you know, that's quite helpful and HR can certainly facilitate those conversations. It's, that's probably the value. It's interesting to hear and kind of what I suspected about the role of redundancy, that the way in which businesses are approaching, that it's it's part of the business cycle and that it's much more common now. But and perhaps in organisations where there's a lengthy you know, cons consultation period and people are involved, it sounds like there are ways of helping people through that. But I think people of our age, and obviously this podcast is about people aged over 40 plus. And certainly I feel from conversations, my own experience and from conversations with family and friends who've been re made redundant, despite all of those things being in place, I think the stigma is of being made redundant is 
is very hard to bear. I mean, you know, you do think, why you? And it's impossible not to take it personally. And it can come as just such a massive shock. I mean, I think obviously I've been involved in uh, bigger companies when I, where there's been a long lengthy consultation period, but I've also in smaller companies where it's been a bit more of a, you know, a surprise. But I think for people of our age, I think the really, it is hard, you know, it's just hard not to take it personally. And actually I was made redundant when I'd gone in-house working through an agency after a lengthy period of, I'd worked as a freelance consultant for a long time. And I think looking back, one of the things I really felt was, particularly because I'd been a bit in control of my own destiny and working, and I, now I was in-house, a complete loss of control. You know, yeah. some, I, I often worked on projects that ended, but it was because the project ended or I chose to leave the project. I pretty much never chose to leave a project. You know, you see, you see them out. But that complete loss of control and that panic. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for people to do other things, but there's also that initial panic of my first thought was, how was I going to pay the mortgage? You know, just really, really practical things. So I think it's really good to know that the, the HR provides that, that source of helping people through it, like the grief process. And I definitely think I felt that at the time. You know, I did, I did feel shocked. I did feel angry for quite a long time. And, you know, it's, I think it's just, I think it's a really hard one for people of our age not to feel that stigma. Still, when I fill out job applications and I get to that point where it says about a role and I write was made redundant, I think, how is that going to look to other people? And I can't be the only person who feels that. Um, I mean, what, I mean, from your perspective, I'd like to get your perspective on that. So if some, if you have been made redundant from a role and you write that you were made redundant, you know, from an HR perspective, would you be looking at that thinking there was something wrong with that person? I suspect not from what, everything that you've just said. Yeah. Um, but I think people do feel shame. And I know people who've, who've been, I mean, one friend in particular was made redundant and went into another role. And then there was a crisis in the organization was made redundant again. And then for somebody, a person in their forties who had had a completely normal, unblemished, you know, continuous work record to then have two redundancies in a short period of time, completely out of their control. You know, that's, I think, I think it's a, it's quite hard to carry that and to carry it off. I mean, actually they then entered another role and have been there for a long time. So it was a kind of blip. I think it would be very reassuring for listeners to know how you see it from the other side that when you're, when you're recruiting people and somebody has been made redundant a couple of times, how is that viewed? So the reality is it recruiters do not bat an eye. They That's do not bat an eye. Great to hear. <laughs> I'll repeat that. Recruiters do not bat an eyelid if they see role, you know, exit due to or left due to redundancy, particularly in the example that you've just given, where your friend has then, you know, within a few months started another role, even though that role was made redundant, then started another role. I think as long as you have continuous employment and there's reasons for that, it's the same with absences in employment, it's absolutely fine as long as you can explain it. 
So if you take a year out to go traveling, that's fine as long as you put in a year traveling and I learned X, Y, and Z, or I learned <laughs> basic pie <laughs> as I was hanging out on my, or learned to scuba dive or something. I mean, employers just want to know that you're using your opportunity to in the best way and that you're resilient. I think that's it. I mean, mm. life happens. And absolutely. I mean, I joke, I've made myself redundant twice <laughs> and I've been made redundant. Did you have a one-to-one -one consultation during that process? <laughs> well, so, I mean, obviously it's, it's, there's pros and cons of being in this position, but almost you, you're the first to know that yeah. there's problems. And so in my last, the last time I was kind of me and my colleague, both the business was downsizing and that they, there was no requirement it didn't make logical sense to have two really heavyweight leaders in the people team the hr team one overseeing you know kind of in, in europe and international and the other the us you know so we almost jointly proposed you know we'll hire in a kind of a more director level rather than vp level roles for you will help we'll transition and then we'll exit out you know and kind of make ourselves redundant that way so that was all that's positive to your point of not being in control because you're in control of that and the same early in my career um i was the european head of hr and we were bought by an organization and so they were bet the uk piece of the business was based in Slough or, or somewhere far from Clapham <laughs> and, uh, so I said to be honest that that's fine I'll help you with all the transition of employees and the redundant you know the redundancy process etc but actually I'm fine to step away and then so I knew I had you know the three-month consultation plus I think they gave me three months to to help wrap various things up and again I had plenty of time to interview and I literally kind of transitioned and again that was kind of in my control and I'd made that decision not to to go with that organization which mm. does make everything much more pleasant and palatable yeah when I was the head of you know global HR and you know there were problems in, in the business the chief legal counsel in New York <clears throat> ended up ringing me and just basically saying, Louisa, you are severed. We yeah. don't need you. And oh I just goodness. leave it. Because, <laughs> to the point. <laughs> and I was literally saying to him, well, you can't do this, you know, under UK employment law, you need to consult with me. <laughs> and you know, I, I'm fine to draft the letter, you know, putting me at risk, but you do need to, you know, and you need to do this and this and that. But he wasn't having any of it he just wants to treat me like a us employee and you're going to have a severance and this and that and i said well i've been here like for you know over 10 years you can't treat your <laughs> sort of senior leader like this because how you treat leavers is actually an engagement factor to those employees remaining with the business yeah. and so, so that's another thing to, to remember and that actually particularly businesses today want to do the right thing by their employees and but i do i do you know reflecting on that i learned so much from that experience because i thought mm. well i pride myself in really running um, a very supportive kind of redundancy process and we always have been you know offer interview training and help with cvs and linkedin workshops and where i've worked previously we've almost you know where there's been a, a large pool of employees made redundant 
we've almost invited other businesses in the area who have vacancies to come in and interview with our kind of at-risk employees things like that so there's things that you can do to be really supportive and certainly some businesses offer an outplacement service as well which I always say please take that and use it if you're offered it because that in itself is very supportive also because then you're with other people who are exactly in the same position as you so to your point where you know you do feel well this is all about me and but actually to be with other people who are going through exactly the same thing um, is is quite helpful I suppose not all organizations are big enough to have all those resources though I mean a lot of people work for much smaller yeah organizations in different roles and it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, but they may not have those kind of connections or those kind of systems in place. I would imagine it's a more low, it's just a different experience if you're not working for a large company that has has all those resources and that opportunity um, for people to have those placements and have those, you know, as part of the consultation period. Sorry, if you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to say, I, I agree with that. But also, I think, you know, Louisa, what I'm hearing is that what you're describing is best practice. And it just takes a little bit of imagination and some empathy for those people. Because, you know, for example, inviting in businesses around, you know, that are nearby is genius. And actually, it only costs a few phone calls, you know, so anyone who doesn't have resources or money to do outplacement if they're imaginative and inventive they could do things like that to help people do you think louisa it's different for women or just people in general over 40 if they're made redundant do you, have you seen in your experience that it's different for them well it it's different because when when i was made redundant as a mum with a daughter and a mortgage and you know you're already you and your partner are juggling the taking to school the collecting from school the food the admin the life etc and a full-time senior level role you're thinking and now I've got to find a new bloody job as well on top of all yeah. this you've got to be all peppy and then it's going to take six months of me being absolutely on my game and working long hours to prove myself in a new role and I could so mm. do without this right now <laughs> well that's right that is the reality is it particularly as a woman and then you might be perimenopausal and you're already exhausted and you know then your your parents are aging and so you're also spending a day a week visiting you know your your mom or supporting you know with with that and and so forth so i think that's where it gets harder is that we're juggling more things yeah. um, older I, and so and you're more senior so it takes longer potentially for you to find another role because there's less director level positions or senior manager level right. positions out there after mm. 40 whereas if you're major done in your 30s actually there's there's quite a few other roles out there so i think certainly if, if you're in a i mean when if you work in a corporate or if you work for a, a long time at least you, you know having a, a small redundancy package does tide you over to help you find another job if you're new in post and then you lose your, your role I think that in itself is a nightmare because then you really are worried um, about money and I, I always encourage any, anyone negotiating a new role to make sure that you're really on a three-month notice period because at least then you know whatever happens you've got that buffer 
and and I all, all, also encourage people to always keep your networks going whilst yeah. you're in the role because we're all exposed as soon as you're a manager senior director you are exposed and I guess working in HR I'm always thinking <laughs> I could be next I don't know you know but no, I always this is all really good advice actually I mean particularly um, in the notice period I hadn't thought about that yeah you know, what can you do to protect yourself and, and and my granddad used to say to me right from an early age always have a little nest egg behind yeah. you Lisa, just in case something happens so I've been brought up with this always have a nest egg yeah. which is true and you go to a financial advisor who always says make sure you have three to six months of ready cash for if the boiler oh, fails I don't think in this this day and age though <laughs> well but again, it's best practice, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, it's, all, it's, it's all best practice. You know, the, yeah. the reality is, yeah, we'd all, we'd all like to do that. But I, I do think taking control so that it gives you a three-month period and as soon as your role is at risk to start yeah. interviewing, however angry and in denial you are, I always say, get your CV, number one, get your CV up to date. Yeah, keep it up to date, I think, as well. Yeah, Even absolutely. when you're in role, maybe. In, try and speak at as many events as possible make sure that your profile is up there so that you're um, valuable and actually it's good for your morale that actually if my role in this organization is no longer required because of changing business needs which is the reason it's not because you know you're rubbish it's because <laughs> the changing business needs and you have to think like this because it helps with your confidence and your resilience uh, but always, you know, keep yourself really marketable. Uh, and, and men tend to be better at this than women. I'm writing all this down, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, women do have a crisis of you know, well, confidence and, and we're not as confident generally. But so it's I funny do. What you were saying yeah, earlier about, you know, women having the problem for women having a lot on in terms of caring responsibilities and the home and family, etc. And I think maybe that's why it's you know I totally agree with all of that and I think for a lot of people um particularly when they're in the 40s and 50s their their working life is perhaps the the one stable thing in their life during that period because you've been you might have gone through career ups and downs but you might have got yourself to a point where that's the stable element in your life and you never know what's coming in your home life in terms of, you know, your, your children are going through phases, your extended family and yourself are going through health experiences. And, you know, you, you're having to, in that female role, you're having to weather a lot of those storms and everybody else's ups and downs. And I think in some ways work can be a consistent solace, really, where you you feel you know who you are in the world. And I think that's why one of the reasons why it can be quite devastating particular for women for all the reasons you said about how you feel about having to be recruited into another role and, and proving yourself and everything but I think it is the removal of one of those really stable things and I think that is I think that's harder for women I also than it is for men yeah and I also think for women work is often an escape yeah because when you're deep in a project actually you know you're in the flow and and nothing else matters and also i think you can feel at work that actually i'm making a real difference here i'm mm. adding in a way that's quite tangible um because you never get thanked 
by your children uh, and raised by your husband so true so at least if your boss gives you a pat on the back every now and then it's quite nice feeling so uh, i mean life is an unfinished project isn't it whereas at least at work i mean i'm someone who likes a beginning middle and an end you know every now and again so I, lo I love a project where I can feel like I've completed something, whereas everything else in life sort of rolls on and that is life. But yeah, so I, I totally relate to that. It's interesting. I was just thinking about your grief curve. And actually, I was thinking about my experience of redundancy and how it was the inverse. So the, the you know, if you flip the curve around, I was like, this is great it's an opportunity for a new change. It's an opportunity for a new beginning, you know, go in a different direction and whatnot. So the euphoria was the beginning and then the crash of reality came later, you know, and so some of the things that you described about, you know, connecting to your network and, you know, being sure that you're out there in your CV, I actually didn't do a lot of those things because I was just too busy lying in the grass reading a book, thinking how <laughs> awesome this was. Um, so, you know, I think that's really that's great. That's financial comfort though, isn't it? Because you've been in the organization a long time and you probably didn't feel that immediately. Whereas I think for other people, you know, the first thought might be the financial stress and the need to get back into work. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about reinvention. And I think there is a balance, isn't there, between reinvention and and the sort of practicalities of being made redundant. And, you know, if you haven't got that, that nest egg or that re good redundancy payment. And don't forget, we have you know, if you've worked in an organization for a while, it's not, it's not just a job, is it? You have a work family, you have relationships and those relationships are separate to the rest of your life. And they can, you know, I've had some amazing um, friendships at work. I mean, there may not be people that you end up being in contact with for the rest of your life, but the, the dynamics in an organization, it can be, you can get a lot out of it. They're very sustaining. You, you benefit from learning from other people. And if you feel really comfortable in that and you lose your, and that's taken away. Um, so I'm going to, uh, Louise is smiling and I, I know she's going to, she's got some really good advice for anyone who's in this situation. Well, in terms of work family, I, I mean, I do think that people forget that a redundancy is a kind of a grief because you're not seeing the people that you've seen every single day that you've spoken with every single day anymore you're not going to see them every day anymore so that in itself and that contact and that being part of a team and a wider team and, and so forth or the clients you're not seeing your clients uh, on on a regular basis so I, I do think that there is an element to Eve saying you know she was reading a book in a meadow uh, <laughs> immediately afterwards I, I do think that it, it is quite important just to to stop and take stock and almost appreciate what it is that you've had and that you will miss elements but you've you know to be grateful really to for for what you've learned as a result of the experience and and um, and it is interesting as well you know to nurture those relationships that you really want to stay stay connected with those people that have really helped you in, in whatever ways and Eve and I, when we were together um, working, we set up um, a women's network. And I do think that that network of women have stayed friends. And so I think the mutual support 
that we offered each other and Eve was enormously supportive to me particularly one time I, just, I think she nearly had a shock when I said Eve have you got two minutes and I literally just for the first time <laughs> in my career burst out crying and she was so supportive but I just needed that emotional kind of release of that frustration and anger and just to have someone say I totally get it Louisa and it's okay and I think it's a, a kind of a bonding moment. Um, mm. and, and I do think that, yeah, that, that that's quite, yeah, that, that also is important and to acknowledge that. Um, and I guess that segues quite nicely into, I do think that it's important also that as part of, you know, as one is being made redundant, I guess, during that consultation process. And, and I never do this personally, but I always tell myself, next time, Louisa, you need to do that. <laughs> tell others to do it really make sure that you get those references from your network so all of those pals and supporters you know make sure that they're giving you nice references on linkedin that you get your references from your different bosses almost you know I'm, I'm happy to draft something as a starter for 10 for you you know would that be okay uh and as and when i get jobs you know would you be willing to be a referee for me and you know could you print such a good idea i mean these are things i print this printed paper so that i've got it ready to go and make your life easier you know when the time comes in really plan and to have a variety of people from different parts of the business and how can you showcase your expertise in the best way so you want somebody you know from different parts of the business to talk about different elements of your role so somebody to talk about leadership somebody to talk about your actual you know skill set somebody to talk about your team building or or, or or whatever the case might be and you know choose five people and really almost give them different examples to speak about and i think that not to talk about your job description but really to ask them what difference have I made in my time with this organization? What impact has having me working with you had to this organization? What, what work has been done differently or, you know, and that's quite reassuring as well to, you know, your bruised ego, which we we're <laughs> all going to have, isn't it? To actually mm. look at your LinkedIn, which is there forever to think, mm. okay, well, these five people thought I kicked ass <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> picked it out of the part and 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 added value to this organization so my you know five years ten years etc with this or two years with this organization mm -hmm. wasn't in vain and even though my role has been made redundant actually my tenure has meant something and I think having that is quite helpful and I also the same with CVs make sure that the CV is achievements led so as a result of me implementing this project, I saved the organization, you know, X million or half a million, or as a result of working with this leader, coaching this leader, they got promoted to, you know, within six months or I don't know, whatever it is. But that's because then somebody reading that, being, oh, yeah, this is good. Yes, I, I, yeah, I need somebody like this to help support my leaders etc and so that reframes things as well it, it's a reframing away from oh gosh woe is me which i am going to feel but actually mm -hmm. it moves you into action positive action and thinking about the next steps um, and also thinking about you as a whole person because yeah. i think 
and I've read that women are the worst at this in that we don't apply. Apparently we don't apply for roles unless we can do yeah. 90, 80, 90% of what's written in the job description. But actually, you know, just because you're doing one particular job at the moment doesn't mean that's all you're doing. And also the skills that you're applying to that role are much broader. So I love this idea of you you know, consulting with other people in the organization about those qualities and about those achievements, looking at it as an overall thing. Cause I think, and I think it's nice to do that in your role before you, you know, before you leave, because that's quite confidence boosting as well. Because I think sometimes, I mean, we're all really overworked now, you know, workforces seem to be slimmer than ever people you know, have a lot on their plate at work and they work long hours. And sometimes I think it's very hard to lift your head up, you know, above what you're doing and see the effect that you're having and what the kind of person you are and what you're like in the role. And I think actually, unfortunately, one of the thing, you know, one of the times when you can do that is when you get made redundant, you suddenly have to have that good hard stare at yourself and what you're doing now. So I think broadening that out and doing that sort of almost preparing yourself. And also, I suppose what you're saying is accepting that this role, it's not one job, one life, is it? You know, this role can end. You're just passing through this role in a way you, it might be out of your control that it happens, or you might want to move on. Um, I did read something once that said children pass through our life. And we have to accept that, you know, rather than hanging on to every stage and um, that they're actually, they're not meant for us to hold. They, they pass through our lives and maybe, maybe work is the same, Um, that not every, you know, you're passing through roles and um, as part of your work, your, well, I was going to say work history, but actually it's in the present, but it becomes part of your work history, doesn't it? I also think to that point of, of boosting your confidence throughout your career, and also we want to be learning and, and, and developing. And I do think that sometimes we do get stuck and it's easy to stay in the same role where actually probably yeah. every two years we should be consciously thinking, okay, what's next for me and, and making See, that effort. I've I find that different. I hear this all the time about two years in a role, but I actually think it takes a year to settle into a role and get to know the people and get to know the dynamics. And particularly if you're in an organization where it's a bigger organization, where sometimes people can be a bit wary of newcomers. I find a really, I found in the past a really big difference in how people treat you when you come into a role. And when you've been there a while, there's an element of trust. People can see you know, the effect that you're having and um, are confident in your abilities and that you're going to stick around as well. And they open up to you a bit more. So I, I was, I find this two year thing. I mean, perhaps when you, you're really starting out that two year, but when you're at our age, do you think that's realistic? That sort I, of two year thing. Yeah. And can I just add one other thought to, for you to, to help us with is that I'm actually, maybe it's old school, but I'm deeply suspicious of anyone who's only stayed 18 months. I think, what have you achieved in 18 months? <laughs> the statistics are that even if you're in a large corporation, those that move regularly actually get to the top faster and highly successful people move regularly. So, so that there's something in it that actually it keeps you fresh it keeps you on your game 
Now, I haven't done that. I haven't moved every two years. <laughs> there is an element of actually it's exhausting, the thought of going, you know, to do that, etc. Oh, and yeah. I think you get to, particularly over 40 and for the reasons that we've mentioned before, I think that the thought of, oh, my gosh, you know, to have to and then get to know everyone again, get to understand all the processes. And I agree, it takes at least six months just to sort of feel that you know what you're doing, you can navigate all the difference, et cetera, et cetera. But I just, it's just a challenge, I guess, isn't it? That if those most successful, ambitious people move every two to three years, what, what is it about that that we could replicate where we currently are? So maybe well, it's- Well, I definitely agree with changing roles. Yeah, you can be in one organization and right. change roles. I don't think I've ever stayed in the same role, to be honest, but actually being in an organization for for a short period of time and moving on, that feels like quite, it, to me, it feels like quite a jolt, even when I was younger, really. But The other thing as well, the other tip is that um, I always say, you know, whilst you're in in a role, create a brag file. And every email that's, you know, thanks, Louisa, for that, just keep it, stick it into your brag file. And then when it comes to your kind of half year review, you can open that folder and think, right, OK, that was a good project. I've had good feedback on that. This is it. And then worst case scenario, it's just or, or at a certain point in time, OK, what are my strengths? Yeah. I've had good feedback on these sorts of things. So these are areas, these are strengths of mine. I actually quite enjoy it. Or I've had good feedback and it is a strength, but actually I hate doing it. And we all have that. And I, I, that's also food for thought in an existing role, but also as you move out. And I guess you have the op opportunity as you move to, okay, what do I really, what am I really good at and, and enjoy and what to keep doing? And what can I, what does the world need? And what could I be paid for? And how could I marry all of that up? Or within an existing role, you know, what opportunities are there internally where I could use all of my strengths and could add value to the organisation or make money from this for them? Um, it's, it's, so it's kind of, it, again, it's that mind shift, mindset shift. Yeah. Louisa, can I just say, I think you could have a podcast of your own on HR. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting so much good information out of this and I know anyone listening will be as well because the yeah I mean the, the these are all I'm thinking yep I need to do that <laughs> yeah. I love the brag file because I think what's really interesting about that is that I, I think you know as I can only speak as a woman but you know I think we tend to emphasize the negative about what we need to work on where the gaps are where we failed and I, I think it's a really positive thing to suggest that actually we're aware of those things you don't need to overthink them take some time take you know make sure that you're focusing on the things that you're good at or the things that you enjoy um so it's not about self-delusion it's really about bolstering your confidence where you're too busy tearing it down the rest of the time anyways so i think that's a really great suggestion maybe let's pivot now to reinvention because that is about taking all those good things and your strengths um so louisa have you ever had to reinvent yourself <laughs> uh well certainly um the last time uh I made myself redundant. Uh, I had the opportunity to title of a novel, you know, your autobiography, isn't it really? <laughs> so I guess my choices were: do I go into um, a, another big 
uh, HR role or do I do something different? Do I go interim or, you know, and my daughter was um, becoming a teenager. And so I, I thought, okay, well, this is the opportunity for me to be around a little bit more as a teenage girl. You do hear there can be horror stories. And I just kind of thought I just want to be around for if she wants to have those conversations after school, etc. some days. So I, so that kind of made me think about, okay, I need something flexible. And then actually I had a bit of a health scare and uh, I, th that. I thought I had food poisoning and um, was looking forward actually to coming to Eve's big birthday party and ended up, I went to the GP twice with this food poisoning and anyway, hopeless eventually I, I took myself after two weeks of vomiting took myself to a and e and literally within 24 hours was having emergency surgery and apparently i had a little hernia that caught around my bowel oh and uh, anyway so who knew so i always say now if you have vomiting don't, uh, <laughs> don't yeah, that, that was terrifying to hear what happened even after it had happened it was oh, so terrifying so Anyway, it was good for the old weight loss. I was nice and slim <laughs> for a little while. But, um, but I didn't know how I would be after that. So with this whole flexibility, I thought, right, okay, I can't go for a big role full time if I'm then going to be off sick or something that would be really unprofessional. So I thought, right, okay, I'm definitely going to go. And so, and so I decided to set up my own consulting business. Um, and in terms of kind of identifying what I'm good at and what the world needs. I certainly thought, well, we definitely need more human-centered leaders. We definitely need more compassion and empathy in our leadership. We definitely yep. need more support. We need more women in leadership. Absolutely. Um, and yep. I have coaching skills and obviously my people and culture strengths. So I thought, okay, let's, how can I, and where, where, who needs that and also, you know smaller businesses that aren't big enough to warrant having their own HR director might benefit from having a strategic uh, people and culture person come in and, and help them with coaching and really um, establishing a people strategy and maybe supporting them upskilling their people team if they have one or, or putting in a maybe a part-time HR manager for them or something like that so anyway so that's what I've been doing for the last four years I've yeah essentially been very busy working <laughs> with changing and growing businesses yeah. um, and I must say I've loved it I've loved the flexibility I've loved being able to almost pick and choose what I want to do and focus in on um, and I've had the opportunity of working with associates rather than hiring in people directly and just work partnering with other consultants as and when needed. And I've really enjoyed it. I've learned more as a business owner in the last three years than I've probably learned in the last 10 years as a seasoned kind of people professional, because obviously the situations differ, but the, the mechanics of doing it as an HR. But is, what is kind of things then? So, well, as a business owner, you're learning, you know, about you're having to do your own accounts and finances and your own budget. You don't have a finance director to say, you know, <laughs> oh, partner me this budget, or you don't have an accounts payable person to do your invoices. Or have you done your PAYE? <laughs> I've got no one to, and I decided to become a limited company as well. So, you know, dealing with an accountant, um, also mm. the whole marketing. 
you know, I'd be used to working with a comms team or with a marketing director um, in terms of employee, you know, the value proposition within an organization. So it's okay, well, it's just me, but you know, what's my brand and how do I raise my profile? How do people know to come and work with me, etc.? So, and that the importance, LinkedIn is brilliant, by the way, as well for, for people, for networking, for- I think growth. I underestimate LinkedIn. I mean, I do yeah. use it more now, but I think it's, it's good to hear that because it's and quite terms, easy to just let your profile sit there and not update it. But it's the place as a recruiter, all recruiters go onto LinkedIn to do their initial search. So if you're not on there, you're not being picked up in yeah. terms of a pool of potential candidates. So I always say to people, number one, get onto LinkedIn and also try and be active to some extent on there. And some people, you know, are kind of on there all the time. And you're thinking you've either got a brilliant sort of comms person <laughs> and, and you can outsource this as well, as I've discovered after sort of wow. sleepless nights drafting thought leadership pieces, you can actually work with experts, comms experts that will draft for you. You know, you, you can even, you know, some people will do daily posts thrice weekly post you are drawing you back the curtain today <laughs> but, but, but you, you mean people don't write their own stuff what? So, I mean that, and, and who knew I so I've learned all about that and then and there's a ton of free content that you can access to learn so gosh how do I do that and you just you know yeah. what's on Google and LinkedIn learning is unbelievable free podcast free webinars that you know it's a constant learning opportunity being your own boss and then contracts how to negotiate a contract and then what price should I charge yeah. should I have different charges for different things and also I'm a PHR professional I'm not really a salesperson that's not my training so you're suddenly putting a salesperson's hat on and being I think that's the hardest that thing the hardest. You're a bit of a hard-nosed businesswoman and you're thinking, <laughs> Well, actually, I'll just do it for you for free. It's okay. And they're thinking, well, no, Louisa, it's not the time. It's the 20 odd years of experience that they're paying for and you knowing the that's answer right. through your experience. And yeah. that we must not underestimate that, that that's what they're paying for. And you read a lot about that. And women in particular are very good at giving sort of advice for free and, and to be really ruthless with, you know, well, the first half hour, I'll have a chat with you, but anything over and above that, you know, I'll charge you you know an hourly rate or happy to support etc etc yeah. that yes I've learned yeah. what we do with some phrasing yeah. of how you transition from your free half hour to the thing you say where maybe we should set up a separate meeting to talk yeah. about this and I'll let you know my rates or something I think we could all do with that advice couldn't we? oh yeah my inner people pleaser finds that extremely <laughs> difficult to to you know because I, I treat everybody I know as sure I'll help you you know whereas mm. you do have to be much more circumspect about how you spend your time and I think Louisa you're especially good at that don't feel it. <laughs> it's a work in progress. And every time I, I you know, or, and what are your fees? What are your coaching fees? And I think, oh gosh, what am I going to charge? <laughs> and then, so you think, right, well, I'll, I'll just go for it. They can always say no. And then they come back, oh, that's very reasonable. And I'm like, drat. Oh, <laughs> I should have charged more. So, but it's all a learning, isn't it? So, uh, yeah definitely think, like, I do quite fancy this gig so I don't want to be you know outprice myself and then you're thinking well they probably wanted to work with you anyway so you probably should have just gone for it 
maybe that's where networking that you know going back to what you were saying about women's network is i mean it's always good to know what other people are charging for things isn't it but money is a bit of a in this country it's uh it can be a difficult one to be you know for people to be open about but actually you know if we knew what people were charging for this kind of work and and how where to pitch yourself it'd just be very very helpful to people yeah i think north americans we north americans are definitely much more open about money and stuff for sure louisa do you know if there are any resources out there where comparable say consultants prices pricing might be so i don't know of a, a a source off the top of my head i mean what i did it was um liaise with with recruiting or specialist headhunters that kind of outsourced consultants, HR consultants. And just, I spoke with two or three right at the start to say, well, you know, what, what would you charge, you know, in your experience, what would you charge? And then I also spoke with lawyers, employment lawyers who used HR consultants to understand their, you know, how much they charged people out yeah that's what i did too i just canvassed friends who were you know who did the same yeah and to say look you know what do you charge what have you seen out in the industry and i sort of got a feel for it there but it is you know as caroline says people are often reluctant mm -hmm. to talk about costs partly because they feel it's a bit sort of competitive and they they want to stay competitive but i have found amongst my friends and network they're very happy to to share what they charge mm -hmm to help me pitch it right so that I would, you know, that I would be in the right area. But I mean, my husband works for Royal Bank of Canada and he, they use consultants nonstop all the time, these big organizations, they sort of bringing them in and he's like, you never charge enough. I'm signing off invoices a thousand a day. Sounds very supportive. <laughs> but I say, yes, but that's, I, I can't charge that for, for this particular piece of work, you know, yeah. for a charity, for instance, or for because they just don't have that budget. Um, so, it, but it, it is tricky. It's kind of, and, and you have to compare apples with apples to some extent, not, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's a tricky one. And do you feel your reinvention is complete or are you on a journey? How does it, how does it feel now? Definitely on a journey uh it's quite scary i do feel that i'm completely out of my comfort zone <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if i'm a born consultant um i do feel i'm kind of a sociable introvert and for me to go in and pitch for new business is really outside of my comfort zone really but i'm, I'm quite I, I am quite enjoying it but i, I found it was the hardest thing about being freelance mm. was is the pitching for work and i would put myself in the category category of social sociable introvert as well i mean you oh, feel yeah. comfortable in your own environment but there is something you know very particular about the skills that you mm -hmm. need and sometimes some people are just better at it than others yeah. and other people have learned it in their role about just how to get out there and pitch for work and pitch it right and um, it's a whole new skill set which i think in that terms of reinvention it's not something you're going to learn overnight and it's going to be an ongoing when you think of the skills that you've picked up over a 20-year career you're not going to be an expert at those things you know in three years and maybe that's part of reinvention is just being we have to be kind to ourselves don't we that 
there's a lot of skills that we've picked up over a long time when you get to our age, which we don't even think of as skills, I think. And that goes back to that sort of getting that, that brag factor, getting that feedback from colleagues about what you've achieved and, and what you bring to the organisation. But I think it can be easy to forget that as a package, what you know women of our age what we have to offer essentially and just because we're not good at you know because we're not used to doing it we're not if you've worked in-house and I've worked in-house and you know as a freelancer there are different things involved and um, I would say interest to see what you think but you know reinvention there has to be some kindness as well to oneself I think well, as I part think of that process <laughs> And ultimately, you know, as entrepreneurs, let's call it for what we are, you know, yeah. we have to be nimble and we have to pivot. And I mean, I've been lucky that to date my work has been referred, referrals. So mm. I guess I go in with the reputa my reputation and my recommendation, but it's still nerve wracking having that meeting having you've got to you know um research the organization research the person you're speaking with and thinking oh my gosh there's so <laughs> high profile and oh my gosh you know but it's all, all that so you i'm almost having to bolster myself up and you can write a few notes louisa and prep and then of course as soon as you have the conversation they're delightful and obviously they need your help so they're very yeah. open and and receptive and yeah you can give them a couple of nuggets there and then and then after thinking you see you see louisa is there just no problem with that why did you be so nervous and i think that's a really <laughs> well thing to do and it's at some point i'd love to to kind of just go into a conversation without all the angst oh, uh, what, what does that feel with. like <laughs> <laughs> i guess that comes with time but it, it it is good and i do think that my brain is being stretched and uh, and as we age and as we hear about all the things that we should be doing to age well it's all about you know stretching the brain staying curious keep doing new things keep learning and so i'm like okay well this is good this is good for my <laughs> for me and for my yeah. you know brain and and, and so don't forget bravery and courage too because i think the temptation yeah. to give up in the face of <laughs> you know of such high mountains to climb it's very easy to to give up um you know i can speak from personal experience it it, it is hard you know you're always facing this the steep up uh, upward climb and so some days it, you just you just can't face it and and it's and you have to pick yourself up again every morning and say right i'm going to i'm going to face it today i also think and I, i'm not 100% sure on the statistics but they sort of say you know within the first 5 years new businesses x percent like quite high percentage fail or close but it's not but the the, the statistics is it's not actually because they fail it's because the owners choose to close the business and essentially go back in house i guess or, or, right. or to do something else and i think yeah. yes i can understand that because at a certain point it's hard and actually it might be easier just to go back in house and I do have that dilemma every now and then, and maybe I'm going to reinvent myself again. And that's okay if I decide to actually put Thrive HR Consulting on ice or just to, to put make it dormant and to go back in-house for a couple of years or to go to do an interim, you know, HR director role somewhere for a couple of years where I feel I might make more 
impact and be able to influence more greatly, you know, in an in-house role potentially. And I've been wrestling with myself that if I want to do that, and if the opportunity comes up, would I be open to that? And I think, yes, in the spirit of reinvention, I would. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't preclude me from then taking on a, you know, some coaching on the side or, or still running a couple of little side hustles through my business. And, and I think we have to be open to that. And that is the world, that's the future of work, I think. And certainly I was reading up on Gen Z at the moment and they're very entrepreneurial. And I do think that that will be, and the Gen A's that are still at school, that will be their future. They'll have umpteen hustles. They will change. Yeah. They will be doing this every two years, changing job, or they will have a multiple you know, like a gig economy, they might have, you know, three jobs on the go and do a few days with each. Um, and I think that's the future. So I think, well, okay, we could role model something like that and, and do, you know, maybe I do three days. Well, as I'm doing now, I'm doing two days with, as an in-house director with one organization, then I'm doing some consulting with other organizations on, on the side, just to mix it up a bit. So I think we can learn a lot from Gen Z because they, um, the one thing I see is I don't think they're defined by the role that they do at that, in that moment. I think they are, they see themselves as a full, you know, as, as a person who might be working in a particular role, but it doesn't, wholly define them and therefore hopefully they won't be trapped into some of the negative thoughts that you know we've had about we've been talking about redundancy and I think what I sort of feel from everything you've said about redundancy and about the idea of trying running your own business but then maybe going back in-house like some people might think oh well I failed I failed at running my own business and I have to go back in house, but it's all about making it in a choice. And what we're doing with all of these things is redundancy isn't a fail. Deciding that you don't want to run your own business anymore is not a fail. And I think we, people of our age are very addicted to the word fail or the feeling of failure. And that really needs to, to you know, we need to purge that. And I think we can learn a lot from subsequent generations from that and particularly from Gen Zers and I should be interested to see what Gen A um, has to say about it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean it and, and a lot is spoken about resilience but I, I do think that everything happens for a reason to some extent and I do think that being made redundant is is a really painful experience and uh, but I think that the result what comes out of that is an empathy for others who are in that predicament. And also I think as a leader, the next time, you know, in the next organization, if you have to run a redundancy program, how will you be in that situation having been made redundant yourself? I think it will lend a level of empathy and understanding that probably wasn't there before. So you're bringing that in. And the same with, you know, having run your, your own business if you decide then to close it and, and go in back in house what value add are you now to a leadership team that you fully understand marketing finance uh, sales in a way that you didn't before because you were a specialist in your role you know the fact that you've had that full breadth I think you're you can challenge a chief exec in a way that you couldn't before also you've had in 
you liaise with a board as a consultant in a way that you hadn't in your role previously. I mean, I've been dealing in the last few years with various boards, first time ever, even as a senior level employee, because of, often in corporates or even in smaller businesses, it, as an employee, you don't really have access to the board and you don't see unless you're on the exec team. So I do think, again, that's a huge learning and to be able to go in back in house and say, well, I know, you know, that actually boards would be really interested in this. And, you know, from my you know, people and culture is a hot topic now on at board level. So how about we share this with them or, you know, this is our risk these are the risks and this is the contingency plan and, and so forth that will go down well and, and here's a little deck i've pulled together for you to make you look really good chief exec or whatever <laughs> you know is a huge value add and so i think that all, all of that um is is a bonus and um and i do think that particularly as women we just need to reframe all of our experiences um in a way that we're changing the narrative in our brains that mm. actually all of these things are opportunities even though they feel horrible at the time. We have to I think it's not them. I think I think the acknowledgement that it is horrible and that you know you get made redundant and people go oh well you'll soon find something else and it's like yeah. no no actually there's a process there's a process to go through and you know you'll be all right you know something will turn up you know there'll be a a reinvention and you know that you can cope with that but I think you just have to take a minute don't you and I think it, you're right if people within the organization understand that process the whole thing can be made better for everybody yeah just more positive all round and the fact that there is something this is something pretty much most people I know of our age group have been made redundant from a role you know apart from there is there are certain roles like teaching or you know different types of profession where I mean it does happen but it's less often but in organizations where there's restructuring and um, you know there's mergers and there's all sorts of reasons um, expansion and retraction of services it's going it's going to happen and that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to do this episode of the podcast because we know so many people that it's happened to and yeah you know, we, we do want to acknowledge the difficulty it causes, um, but also frame it in a positive way. That... There's no shame in it. it. You know, as Louisa, you said at the beginning, there really is no shame in it because it's not your fault. You know, it's mm. just, it's just the reality and, and it's okay to, like you say, it's okay to feel bad about it. And then it's okay to feel better about it. All right. Well, any last advice you've got for our listeners, Louisa, and, you know, how to handle reinventing yourself? Well, I mean, um, in terms of resources, I guess, or, or I would just really encourage, and as I mentioned earlier, there's a really great model that I quite like called Ikigai. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a Japanese um, secret to long and happy life. And the Japanese are the longest living humans on our planet. And some researchers a couple of decades ago went to explore and interview these people. It's a particular island. I think it's Okinawa. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Um, but it's called Ikigai, and I really recommend it. And basically what they found they, by interviewing all these people, that to cut a long story short, all of these people have a purpose. And whether it's getting up and doing the gardening, if it's going to the local fish shop in the morning with their friends meeting up to play 
bridge or you know the equivalent cards or or something or to go and do their yoga together or, or but all of them have a very clear purpose and obviously they eat healthily and, and exercise but over and above that that need to have to feel that you belong and have a purpose in life and they've put a lot of psychologists have kind of been working for, for a few decades on this and a, a book's been written um it's by hector garcia but um essentially it's all about this identifying what is it that you love what are my strengths and, and where do i excel what does the world need and where can i make a difference and be paid for to some extent and wherever we are in life whether we're in gainful employment you know really to think about that and certainly in transition and as we're reinventing ourselves it's really important to think about this because if you have an opportunity to do something different let's for goodness sake make sure that it's something that you love um, and that you're good at uh, and that can add value and, and make a difference and then that becomes your purpose so you know for me it's it's all about you know making a positive difference and so I guess being an HR I feel that at least I'm making a positive difference to people's working lives ultimately Definitely. and in terms of you know as I spoke about before you know the world needs more empathetic human-centered adult leaders more women and diverse leaders and you know given I'm quite good at the people stuff and coaching that's I can actually be paid for that and can help add value in that way so that is my purpose but I mean I've distilled that in a minute but it takes a little time to kind of get to that now but it's that simple and I do really encourage everyone to think about that at whatever stage of life you are at um, and also you know for me to be there for my daughter or children is, is also a purpose and to make sure you know so that's the flexibility piece so um so really focus on strengths um and join forums of like-minded people and use linkedin and linkedin learning there's some, a, a ton of free um really great resources to keep your skill sets up and as soon as this is finished i'm off to update my linkedin profile is all <laughs> i can say and that's it really uh, so is that i think that's brilliant that's amazing <laughs> advice and i what i especially love about that is that the concept of ikigai is it i-k-i-g-a-i Correct. Yeah, that I love that concept as you described it because, for example, being made redundant, you feel displaced, yes. and actually, what you're identifying is how to find your place, and that's an amazing, really powerful thing. So, thank you so much for sharing that with us. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. So, thank you again, Louisa, for being thank such you an awesome guest. So much. It's been really fascinating, and uh, yeah, fantastic. Thank you for inviting me and it's been a delight chatting with both of you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let us know about it. We also want to hear what you've been up to since turning 40. Get in touch on our website, rightsideof40pod.com. And don't forget, follow us on Twitter at rightside40 or Instagram at rightsideof40pod. All content is arranged by Eve and Caroline. And a big thank you to Terry and V. Neal for writing, performing and mixing the original music.